If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. In this episode of the podcast, I'm speaking with Sal. Sal is currently on maternity leave, living in Mildura with her two gorgeous children, Edie and Hendrix. Welcome to the podcast tonight, Sal. I'd love to start by understanding what made you decide to become a solo mum by choice. I was one of those um, teens, I guess, that I was adamant I was never going to have kids. Oh. Did not want kids from the start, um, and I was just not didn't want them. Um, my friends, um, so my closer friends, when we got to um, eighteen, they actually had children quite young, okay. and so I was exposed to kids then, and you know. I liked them, you know, it was good to be the auntie um, and I just I just never wanted kids and looking back now though, I realised it was because in my head and how I'd kind of grown up, to me having kids meant you had to find a man and mm-hmm. that meant, you know, being in a relationship with a man to have the kids. Um, I had no idea there was another way to go about it and I'm gay, so um back then I was like oh I think I might be bisexual but the idea of you know having the kids meaning having the man didn't want it didn't want it at all and you couldn't say that it could be two separate things no like I just and I I don't know if that's just because um that's just you know how not how I grew up but you just I just never heard really um much about hey this is a thing until um, one of my aunts actually um, is also uh, gay and she had a son. But that kind of made me go, oh, you know, there's other options out there. Um, you don't have to have, you know, that that relationship um, to have the kids. And I did like kids, you know, I, I thought they were kind of great. I just didn't think they were, they were for me for that reason. Um, so I'd always kind of, once I, I realised, well, hang on, there's options. And, you know, you got on Google and, um, I remember going, you know, online um, at my at work sometimes, you know, break and would be on like the European sperm bank. <laughs> and be going, oh, that one looks all right. Yeah, that one could be good. And um, this was in my early 20s, uh, yeah. early to mid-20s at this stage. Um, so I kind of went from there, I guess, um, and realised, well, that if I'm going to have kids, that's how it's going to happen. Um, I'm going to 
find a donor and, and go with that. But, you know, thinking I've got all the time in the world, yeah. um, still young, that costs money. Um, I wasn't in a particularly well-paying job um, when I was younger. And I was then I started to get one back and studied. And, you know, it was kind of in the, the long-term kind of plan, I guess, um, to, to go it alone and just wasn't sure, I guess, when that would happen and where that, when that would fit into my life. So when did you decide to start seriously pursuing this and what did you go through? Uh, so I had moved to Melbourne, um, work relocated me to Melbourne. Um, and at this point I was kind of saving up, um, thinking, yeah, you need, need money for this. And then one of um, somebody I work with um, who um, was a bit older, um, she went down this path and she just had this, she just told me don't wait you know you want to do don't wait you know you don't want to leave it too late um and by this point I was in my late 20s Mm -hmm. um it was 2017 and so I'd gone from just this thing that I was going to do to suddenly oh okay well I'm gonna do it now um and I'm very much like that when I make my mind up on something I'm like well there's no no waiting I'm doing it now I'll figure it out I'll find a way I'll do it now so, yeah, it was about 2017 and I was, I just had decided that um, money, I was like, I'll go in the bank, I'll get a loan, IVF's expensive. I started looking at clinics and quickly realised that IVF um, in Melbourne particularly mm-hmm. um, was very expensive and the donors were at that time um, quite limited as well. Um, I think there was some wait lists. Um, I don't think it was easy to get um, a sperm from overseas as well. Uh, you didn't get photos as well. Um, There's just a few, oh, you know, a number of things that were kind of, been, you know, maybe I, maybe I should look at other options. And so I actually looked at um, Flinders Fertility in Adelaide. And at that point, they were still based in the Flinders um, Hospital, like the public hospital. Mm-hmm. And they were still they were a private clinic, but they were based there, and they their prices, um, including traveling over and everything, was so much more affordable um, than going through treatment in Melbourne. And because I'd lived in Adelaide before, um, you know, I didn't mind going back and forward um, to do that. So I kind of you know crunched the numbers, and you know they had um, sperm from overseas. It was quite cheap. Um, it's not so cheap now. I think they've they've definitely upped their pricing um but it was that was going to be the best option for me I didn't really look into um the like the doctors or anything like that mm-hmm. or many reviews I was purely like what's the cheapest and quickest way I can get pregnant um <laughs> and I was like that's it so um I <laughs> made my phone call um and yeah set an appointment time and kind of went from there and there were said no money issues wise, with the fact that you lived in Melbourne, like it didn't even come. No, into no, they were they were used to. Um, they had people travelling from the country a lot um, yeah. to go into Adelaide um, for IVF. Uh, so they were they were used to people having to you know do scans and bloods elsewhere and um, and travel in. So that was a good um, plus for me, I guess, because yeah, they they were going to be used to somebody having to be a little bit flexible and and that kind of thing. So. Yeah, I um, made the appointment, saw my GP, um, kind of explained the situation. And um, I remember I called the nurse actually um, at Flinders and I was, you know, what 
what blood tests and stuff, how, what's the quickest thing, you know, what do I need to get beforehand? I just um, need to, so, get you know, we determined now. all. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm like, I think sometimes I, I can be impulsive, but I like to really, um, I like to know what's the next step is going to be. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of got all the list, went to my GP and I'm like, right, I need a referral to do this. Um, I need this test, this test, this test. Um, I've got to get a scan on this date. Um, mind you, I've got polycystic ovarian syndrome. So my cycles um, are all over the place. I think at that point um, I had been on the pill um, and I just was constantly on the pill. So um, I didn't really have like polycystic ovaries before that though? Yeah, yeah. I, I knew that I had before that. Yeah. So I knew that would be a thing, but on the same time, I was like, this is great because you have to be medically infertile. And I'm like, I've got PCOS. I'm medically infertile. I'm getting me a Medicare. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, um, you know, I I went to the GP and like my my GP that were great. Um, When I had all my tests and everything. So I had all of that ready for um, my first appointment, which I had to fly over to. and actually, I timed my counsellor appointment as well to be the same day as the specialist appointment. So I could right. just, you know, knock that out too. Um, so, Very yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I'm a bit of a planner. I can be impulsive, but I'm an impulsive planner as well. So I'm like, yeah, get this done, this done, this date. Um, yeah, so I, I flew over. Um, it was a very brief consult. I think because I went in with just with the mindset like I'd done research um you know I knew that I wanted to do IVF um because like you know I've got PCOS um trying to get pregnant IUI I think it's going to be a bit too too hard and he agreed straight away mm-hmm. um he uh, agreed yep PCOS medically infertile had a brief um discussion I think on like medication and like what happens um, with that clinic, you deal with the nurses a lot more than you deal with the doctors, like the specialists. Um, so same with um, the um, egg collections. You didn't necessarily get your doctor. Um, you got one of their doctors, whoever was like rostered on to do the egg collections that day. Same with the transfers. So mm-hmm. um, so they still, and they're still like that today. Um, you do deal with your specialist and that. You can call them up and you can talk to them and they do your plans and everything. Um, but on the day you don't necessarily get them yeah um, which I know for some people be a deal breaker for me again I was like I, I knew that kind of going in so and that didn't really bother me too much I was like oh I don't care who my specialist is at this point um, you know just get me pregnant <laughs> you know I was like all positive and I was thinking this is gonna be easy like this is no big deal at all um saw the counselor and you know had a chat with her and and everything and she was awesome um again she was like yeah yeah you thought all this through um you know we'll, we'll send you some donor um donors to choose from mm-hmm. um like after a set date and stuff and let me know which one you want to pick and they agreed to do my next because you have to do two i don't know if you still do it but you have to do two counselor appointments um to use a donor yeah. Yeah. yeah so my second one she agreed to do it as telly um like just over the phone um and yeah that that was kind of good um I'm just trying to think now I think I had had just flew over for the day and then I think I flew back to Melbourne the same day yeah um I got a lot of frequent flyer points um (laughs) that year so I uh yeah I flew back I think I had to do a couple more tests maybe um 
and then I was going to have to fly back to sign my consent paperwork. Um, so at this point, I'd gone off the pill, um, obviously to try and you know regulate things and all the tests and everything. Um, and I just, try, I can't remember the dates exactly, but I remember it was like not too long before I was supposed to fly over to do my consent forms and get my medication and stuff. Um, I started to spot and I just remember going, no, this timing does not work for me. And I'm Googling how to stop my period. And um, I had to like my pills left over. Started taking those and yeah, it stopped it from starting. Um, and then I, I flew over to Adelaide and I signed um, my consent paperwork. Um, and I thought, yep, we're all good now. And then my um, my doctor's like, now, have you booked in to see the anaesthetist? Because I'm a bit bigger, um, but I also have something called sarcoidosis. So mm. um, I've had issues with like granulomas that have grown in my lungs before. So because of that reason, um, they wanted me to speak to the anaesthetist beforehand um, to kind of get his sign off to say, yep, he's going to be all good. Um, I had no idea about that. And all I could think was, oh, okay, well, how do I, how do I do that? And um, I said, well, you can never get in the same day. Like you've got to look ahead for that kind of thing. And I was like, well, can I try? So um, the nurses, bless them, they got on the phone um, and we were at one clinic location and the anaesthetist was um, at the hospital, the public hospital. So very, very busy, of course. Yeah. Uh, and they got on the phone and explained the situation. And I was flying out five o'clock that day and somehow um, they got me an appointment. So I jumped in an Uber Went all the way over to the hospital. Um, I stopped on the way. I got a big box of chocolates. <laughs> I took them into like the ladies at the desk and I was like, I heard you got me in. Like, here's some chocolates. Thank you so much. And they're like, no problem. Oh, you're lovely. Here, off you go. Go see him. Um, so I didn't have to like wait. Um, you know, he had a chat with him. He's like, no, it's all good. Jumped back in the Uber, off to the airport to catch my flight. Um, oh, and I picked up my medication, like my, my drugs and everything up for the cycle at this point too. Um, so I had those in a little freezer bag um, from the chemist. Um, so, yeah, it was very much a whirlwind day, but I was like, everything's just falling into place. You know, it's all going to be meant to happen. Um, and then the next day my period started. So I was able to book on like <laughs> straight away. And I'm thinking, yes, the universe is shining on me, you know, think baby, get baby. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I was riding on this like little roller coaster journey of positivity and, you know, thinking enthusiasm. It's all going well. Um, so I started doing all like my, um, I can't remember. I was on like all the injections. I can't even remember. I was on going to left, um, but fairly low dose because I had the polycystic ovarian syndrome. Yeah, They didn't want to um, overstimulate me. Uh, so I was like on a fairly you know, low kind of dose of that. Um, and I found a local place to do scans, like follicle scans. And they would, they were like, yeah, we can send them to the clinic same day. Bloods were a bit trickier. Um, they said, you know, we'll try push them urgent, but um, they couldn't guarantee that they would get the results to my clinic the That's same day. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it was more the follicle scans that were kind of more important. Um, so I had, I think I had one scan and you know, like it wasn't great. They're like, mm, yeah, look, you know, you've got like 30 plus tiny little follicles um, from the PCOS. Um, and then I think I had three 
potential follicles um, in one ovary and then one potential good one on the other. Mm-hmm. So not great start. Um, I was new to it. I had no idea that wasn't a great start. <laughs> in my head, I'm thinking, sweet, there's four in there. This is great. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I had flights kind of booked um, based on, like, rough dates. Um, I flew over and had to have, like, another scan and kind of the blood there through the clinic this time. And that's when they were kind of like, oh, this isn't great. And then I started to kind of worry a little bit, thinking, oh, no, like, spent so much money on this. Like, what if this cycle doesn't work? You know, I'm going to have to then, like, rethink, um, you know, how am I going to redo this again and how many cycles am I going to have to pay for and everything. Um, And so my positivity started to kind of go down a little bit then and um, I actually used the Facebook groups. Um, There's like an online Facebook group specifically for my clinic. Um, And so I use the support through them a lot, you know, as a sounding board, I guess. And so I had to have another scan. Um, and uh, more blads in a couple of days and there wasn't much improvement um, they'd kind of grown a little bit but not much um, and so the nurse then she was like oh look they're probably going to cancel your cycle and um, that was like devastating I was like well okay you know well, what happens then because and she goes oh well I, I can't talk to you about that you know she wasn't my favorite nurse um, so off I went like convinced it was over before it even kind of fully started. Um, and then I got a phone call um, saying, no, keep steaming, come back for another another scan in a couple of days. So I went back. Um, the four follicles had grown. There was mm-hmm. only two really that they were like the ideal um, size, I guess. Um, but they said, look, this is it. We're going to do the trigger um, and we're going we're gonna to try. Um, so I had the four there. But they they pretty much very honest saying, look, out of these four, only two are probably going to be mature. Um, so I kind of knew that going in. Um, so I went went in for my egg collection, um, which kind of all went well. But afterwards, I remember waking up and I had been told they write the number on your hand yeah. um, of how many of like how many eggs that they get. Um, and I looked at my hand and there was nothing on there, and I was just like gutted. I was like, they didn't get any. And so in my head, I'm like, all right, already planning for the next the next cycle that I was going to have to do. I was like, it's fine. This sucks. I'll get over it. We'll do another one. Um, and then another nurse was like, oh, did they tell you, you know, how it went? I was like, well, no, but like, there's no number on my hand. Like, I know it's no, it's no crunch. She goes, I don't know. They got all four. And I was like, what? They got all four? And she goes, yeah, yeah, they got all four of them. And so suddenly I've got this little kind of glimmer of hope, um, but not getting my hopes up too much. A little glimmer. Um, and yeah, then I had to wait for the phone call from the, um, from the lab the next day and they confirmed, yeah, two didn't make it. They weren't mature. So they did, couldn't even fertilize them. Yeah. Um, but they did fertilize the two that they thought were all right and they were both going well. Um, and then day three update, both still going okay. One was a little slow, but going okay. Um, and that, you know, I could book in for my fresh transfer. So I was just thinking, this is great. Like two out of two, essentially, um, you know, this is it. You know, I'm going to get pregnant. Um, so I went in, I had my fresh transfer. I booked my flight back for the same day. And I was so stressed out because I was like, 
think I'm going to miss my plane. It was really hot that day as well. It was, um, it's sort of been October 2017. Yeah, it would have been October 2017. And so it was a really hot day and I was flustered and I had a hire car and like it was just one thing after another. I got to the airport, my bag broke as I was crossing the roads and then I had to buy another bag in the airport. Um, I was just really stressed out and thinking, I'm not supposed to get stressed out and flustered. I'm like, supposed to be calm and, you know, I've got an embryo with me. I might be pregnant, you know, I've got to stay calm. Um, And I'm not very good at staying calm sometimes. So anyway, I went, got on the plane, went home, went back to work the next day. Um, And I think it was, I don't know, I started testing fairly early. Um, as well but I've learned to you so far that doesn't surprise me <laughs> yeah it doesn't surprise you but it was it was the so when I had the first first transfer I had this other embryo which they said look it's still going okay it's just slow we'll give it another 24 hours to see if we can freeze it and I thought like oh okay that's probably not going to work um you know I'm probably just got this one little one on board and I wasn't feeling too hopeful. And I think that's because they weren't making it sound like it was even going to be a possibility. Um, it was more like they were doing it just to appease me because, you know, I had this poor, like, little embryo left over. They're like, oh, we'll try. Uh, no guarantees. Um, so, you know, I had this awful trip back. The next day I was convinced it hadn't worked. I was like, I'm not pregnant. Like, like it's not going to happen. Um, and through all this as well, um, the uh, – I'm trying to think the t- the dates and everything, but the vote on same-sex marriage was happening around that same time. And so that was adding it like this extra layer of stress on me um, for lots of different reasons. Um, I was getting support, but I was also not getting support from some people who were close to me. Um, and so the day, it was like the day after, um, I was at work and they, you know, the vote came through as yes. And I remember I was in the, I, I couldn't be in the office getting, like, hearing the news. I was in the, in the bathroom. Um, and that news came through and I burst into tears, like, happy tears, but, like, you know, just a big release. And then I had a phone call straight away, like, after, while I'm crying, um, from the lab saying, hey, we froze your embryo. Your embryo looks fantastic. Like, you know, it's all good. That's and I'm already great. crying on the phone and I'm just like, oh, this is fantastic. Um, it's a very emotional day. Um, so I did start testing early, um, very clearly like a negative. Um, I think my period even started, like I was still taking all the, um, the, the pessaries, um, but my period still started. And so like, I knew it was, I knew I was out for that one. Um, so, you know, that, that sucked. Um, but again, I had this one embryo and I'm like, that's going to be the one. Um, so I, I think I got to Christmas time. Um, and so they didn't really book you on if your cycle was going to fall during the Christmas shutdown. So I kind of missed that. I had to sign new consent forms to do a frozen transfer. So because I was in like interstate, yeah. um, that was a whole heap of back and forward as well. Um, and so I didn't get back over until it was going to be like February, um, a Feb- like yeah, February cycle. Um, and at that time... I can't really remember a whole lot. I, I was a medicated cycle, um, but then I had family in Mildura, which is actually, which is where I am living now. Yeah. Um, but it was my mum's birthday and we all had to, me and my siblings all had to be in Mildura for my mum's birthday, which was like the day, a couple of days before I was supposed to have my transfer. 
Um, so I had to book in to do an ultrasound for um, to check my lining, I think it was, yeah, to check my lining. Um, and it was going to be the same day I was going to be in Mordura. And it, they would only do it early morning so they could get the results back to the clinic in time. So I had to leave Melbourne at like 2 o'clock in the morning, <sighs> drove down because it's a decent drive, drove from 2 o'clock in the morning, um, got to Mordura like straight and had my ultrasound and then had all the birthday stuff with my mum and was told, yep, your lining's great, you know, you can come and do your transfer on this date. So off to Adelaide I went. Um, I booked a hotel room this time for like a couple of days. I think it was after my transfer because I was like, I'm not rushing. Yeah. Let my lesson the first time. I need to stay calm, cool and collected. Um, and I had my transfer um, and, yeah, I did I did just that. I enjoyed myself. Um, went sort of comedy, like, with a friend. Um, like, it was just, it was like, a good experience um, compared to the first transfer, which was very rushed and flustered. Um, so I went, yeah, flew home again, earlier testing, and about five days after I got a positive. So I was like, yes, this works. Um, and that one tended to be, yeah, my daughter Edith, or Edie, as she tells me. Um, she's Edith if she's in trouble. <laughs> so Always, yeah, she's eating. So, um, she's a little yeah, embryo it was good. <laughs> yeah, she's my little positive embryo. Um, so I had none left though after that. But um, yeah, I was very, very happy. Um, and yeah, it was good to be pregnant. It was a bit surreal because um, after I, I, don't, I don't know, I kind of was like, yeah, this, this is what I wanted. I knew this was going to happen. Um, and then, you know, jump straight into like, well, that part's over. I've got to get, you know, all my pregnancy stuff sorted now. You know, who's going to be like, looking after me? Again, like I can be very impulsive, um, but I'm, I need to know um, what's kind of, what my options are, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, like pregnancy-wise, um, it, it was, I wouldn't say it was like a, a complicated pregnancy. Um, I was dealing with, a lot of um, like mental health issues at the time um which in like in hindsight like you know it was going to happen um I have a history of eating disorders um and going through IVF um at a larger weight there is a big focus on lose weight you know if you lost weight you'd get pregnant much easier um oh, how much did you weigh in this time um and so it kind of all reared its ugly head on me um, when I was going through the IVF stuff. So I was seeing a psychologist at the time and we weren't really sure like how it's going to be like when I got pregnant. Um, so it was a bit, um, yeah, it was a, not com- yeah, not complicated, um, but it just kind of added a lot of like complexity to it, I guess. Yeah. Um, so for that reason, I was really big on getting like continuity of care um, throughout. I didn't want to go through the public system and just be passed on from person to person and who had no idea of like my history of what I was going through. Um, so for that reason, I chose to go with a private midwife, but um, one who had admitting rights to a hospital. So, and if need be, if I had, there was issues, um, you know, if I had to see an obstetrician, they come to those appointments with you and um, 
they're still your provider, um, but they kind of work with the obstetrician if needed. So, um, and was that through yeah, like I, a private hospital or public hospital that you? So it was through public hospital. So um, it was I was used like my midwives um, in Melbourne, so in Brunswick area, um, and they had admitting rights to the Northern Hospital mm-hmm. um, up in Epping, um, but they also have admitting rights to the Women's Mail as well. So and they didn't have that during my first pregnancy. It was just the Northern, which conveniently wasn't too far from me. It was just along the freeway. Um, so it kind of like all worked out um, really well. And I had such a fantastic experience with them. Um, you know, you kind of build up this big relationship. I had lots of appointments. Um, I had some bleeding with that pregnancy as well, um, which first was like early on, I think it was like six, seven weeks. Um, so I'd just seen my GP and I was like, well, you know, is this it? Is it over? And it's like, oh, you know, it could be. But there's nothing we can do. You just got to, you know, wait and see. Um, so That's thankfully, the response you want. Huh. Yeah, it was. You know, she was very like, I need people to be direct with me though. Um, and so I, I think she knew that she was like, there, there really was nothing that they could do at that point. I was still on the progesterone, progesterone, yeah, progesterone. Um. And so it was just this kind of awful limbo waiting for that ultrasound to find out, you know, is it still there, is it not? And thankfully it was, a little flickering heartbeat. Um, And then I had another bleed at um, 13 weeks. So it was about a few days after my 12-week scan. Um, You know, when you kind of feel like, oh, thank goodness, like it's all going to be okay from this point, you know, not all, but, you know, you just kind of have – I don't know, you see like a baby on the screen and you're like, oh, this is it, like it's okay. Um, and then, yeah, I had I had a big bleed um, and I was convinced like that was it, it's over. But um, it turns out I had a subchorionic hematoma, mm-hmm. um, which is like a little bleed that's, well, little to big, um, as I found out, um, that sits kind of where the placenta is or partly behind the placenta. Um, and so there was like, yeah, there was risk associated with that. But um, thankfully, like for me, that the big bleed was that that bleed actually kind of going away. Um, so it was really, really stressful though. Um, you know, just kind of sitting there like bawling my eyes out thinking, well, this is it. This is over. You know, I've, now I'm a statistic. You know, it's just all the things that rush through your head. Um and, you know, then to kind of be, oh, no, it's okay now. And um, my midwife was fantastic kind of helping me through that. Um, so, yeah, it was, you know, everything else was fairly, like, straightforward. Um, it just was a very long pregnancy. <laughs> um, I cook them long, as I now know. Um, and towards the end, um, my midwife actually had personal reasons and had to leave the clinic. Um oh. So I think I was nearly full term and I got told, look, you know, your backup midwife is going to be your main midwife. And that was a bit of a kick because like by this point, I think I'm like, oh, I was doing like 39, yeah. 39 weeks. Um, and so this person who I'd built all this trust and this relationship up with to, you know, help me through labour um, was gone. And I've got this other person who, you know, I'd seen her a few times before and, you know, we got on, um, but it just... Yeah, it wasn't ideal. I'd always planned to like go to hospital to have the baby in my head. I was like, oh no, I'm not having like a home birth. Um, you know, yes, I want the midwife. Um, 
but I'm having, you know, a hospital birth in case something goes wrong. So, um, yeah, my waters broke, called the midwife. I was like, what do I do? <laughs> um, because, like, at this point I just I hadn't really – I hadn't thought like well, what happens if my waters break at night, and I was like, "What? Well, I don't, I don't know what to do." All of a sudden, um, anyway, she's like, well, "Go back to bed. <laughs> like it's fine." Um, so I went back to bed um, with a lot of towels and everything, kind of everywhere because I was my waters were still breaking. Um, and yeah, we just she called me the next morning. She's like, "Anything?" I was like, mm, "A few cramps, but nothing really started." And um, yeah, we had to then talk about like how long we're going to wait. Um, I think through if you go through like the hospital system, the public system at least, um, they're very strict on like you hit like 24 hours, I think it is, and then it's like, yep, you've got to go in. So having the private midwife, um, I got a really good education actually um, in tests and not just pregnancy, but like the tests that are done, why things are recommended, um, why some things are just done by default but not necessarily you don't have to kind of do the default um, if you don't have to or you don't need to. Um, so I was able to have a lot of say, I guess, in the way that my care went. Um, but everything got to be my my decision. Um, you know, they educated me, but they said, well, this is your body, your labour, everything's like you get to decide. Um, you know, you can opt to not do this or you can opt to do it. Um, and didn't matter what I decided on things, they were never judgmental. Um, you know, they would just give advice. And if I was, if I had said to them, like, well, what would you do? Like, what do you think? What should I do? If I ever had that moment, you know, they would be very honest with me. Um, I really didn't want an induction. Um, so I just, yeah, I just was so against it. And I ended up having an induction because I said, my water's broken, nothing happened. Um, she was not coming out. <laughs> so uh, at that point, I'd kind of said, well, I'll wait, you know, 24, 30, 36 hours, I think it was. Yep. So I think we waited like that whole day um, and nothing happened. And I was like, all right, yeah, book me into the hospital. So she called up the hospital and, of course, they got really busy all of a sudden. So I was supposed to go in like in the morning um, and then they had no room for me. And so 11.30, they had a room. And so off my midwife, and of course she's, she had admitting rights, so at this stage, I had not met really anybody at the hospital. Um, I did like a hospital, like a tour. So mm-hmm. I got to see, you know, where I'd go and everything. Um, so went into the hospital um, straight away, like started up the, because my water's broken away, started up the drip. Um, I had antibiotics put in as well because like my waters had broken for um, like a day and a half at that point, I think it was. Um and then, like, it happened. Like, everything kicked off really quickly. Um, it was, yeah, I went in 11.30 and then she was born 11.54 that night. So um, I had, like, five hours, I think, of active labour, um, which for a first is pretty quick. Um, so, yeah, popped her out, big baby, 4.41 kilos. <gasps> <Ow>. um, yeah, <laughs> look, I, I kind of knew, like, Throughout the, the whole pregnancy, like my midwives were very clear, like they didn't like to tell people you were having a big baby because they were, they were like, well, if you're having a big baby and you don't have gestational diabetes and like everything's kind of in proportion, it's no big deal. People have big babies. Like some people, someone's going to have the small baby, someone's going to have the big baby. They don't believe in telling people you're having a big baby because they don't want that like psychological pressure. Holy shit. Like I'm pushing a 4.4 kilo baby out. Um, so 
I'm glad they didn't tell me that, but like at the same time, I'd seen the scans. Like they told me the little percentage things on there. So I knew she was big. And by the end, like I was popping. <laughs> I was pretty big. Um, and then add to that, like all the fluids that you get, like when you're getting in, induced, um, you know, you end up puffy and baby ends up puffy too. Um, so yeah, she came out um, very like, I don't know, I guess you can't, I feel weird. You don't, I can't say babies are really cute when they first come out. They're all a bit, you know, <laughs> a bit squishy. But um, I loved her as soon as she came out. Um, and I thought, yep, this is great. Um, and then I hemorrhaged, um, which was, again, not in the plan. Um, so I had, like, the they I had, had the injection to get the placenta out because it wasn't coming out. Um, and all this happened, like, within a really short time frame. And I had my, like, my baby sister um she was there with me she was like my support person but really she just kind of was in the corner chatting to the midwives and I just did my thing um and yeah I um started bleeding like the placenta came out and just yeah the midwives kind of I had my backup midwife had come in at that point as well like my second backup um and they were kind of like oh look you're getting like this is not good at the moment and so they pushed the buzzer um and suddenly like they explained to me they're like oh, look we're gonna have to push the buzzer the lights are gonna come on the room's gonna fill with people so they really like prepared me and I'm like holding my baby going no worries like do what you're gonna do people like looking at my baby thinking, like in the back of my head I was like, oh this is not good um but, like I didn't care like I had my baby um so they did that push the button obstetrician midwives like all rushing in lights on trying to get another you know iv all you know tv drama type thing i had like midwives pumping on my stomach um i had the ob doing the hand up there kind of thing trying to like can everything to contract it was like like i was thinking back and i have actually talked to my midwife um since then like actually when i got pregnant with my second and she had said like it was actually quite traumatic for her um I personally didn't find it traumatic and I don't know if it was just like the high of having the baby um, yeah. or that I just, I knew I'd like, I felt comfortable that look, this guy, these guys know what they're doing. Like it'll be fine. I was a bit more worried about my sister um, because I was like, oh my God, she's never going to have children. If she sees this. <laughs> and like I need cousins. Um, so anyway, like they, they got to the point where um, at this point I was like, can I please have some gas in air? Because I hadn't had any pain relief at all up to that point. Wow. And I was like, can I, I need some gas in air because like that, this part hurt. Um, and then they started talking about theatre and, you know, it reminded me like you'd signed the paperwork saying, you know, you agree to have like hysterectomies with me. Like they were really like, you know, remember all this stuff that we talked about and that you signed the paperwork for because, and it was like getting that's when I was like oh shit like this could not be good like um and then they realized that the second like they'd been pushing all those drugs through me to try and stop it but they realized that um somebody hadn't pushed one lot through that they thought they had and they pushed that through and they said well wait five minutes um and if that doesn't work or if it looks like it's not working they're like we have to knock you out and take you to theater um and it worked um thankfully it was that last dose and it was just everything kind of calmed down and it went really quickly. I had to get some stitches, but the room were like went from lots of people to just like they all just disappeared. Um, and it was a bit surreal actually. Um, and then I was left just with my sister and my baby. 
And so how did you find the early days of motherhood? It was a bit of a blur, actually, in the, like that first thing. But like my daughter, she had tongue tie and lip tie to feeding, like breastfeeding. I was very much like, I'm going to breastfeed. Like I just had in my head, like, I'm going to do it. Like whatever it takes, I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, and so because I had lost all that blood, because I had PCOS, because I also have like insufficient t- like breast tissue, um, like or glandular tissue it's called, um, I had all this stuff like stacked against me and so my milk didn't really come in um, and she lost over 10% of her body weight, which part of that would be fluid, but also part of that was like she wasn't like, getting anything from me. Yeah. Um, and so I went and got like the tongue tie and the lip tie um, lasered. So, um, so I got that sorted. Yeah. So um, my midwife, because she was coming, like she was at my house every day for the first week essentially, um, and then it's like every second day. Um, and then when I was finally let out of bed, then I went to them. I uh, pretty much, I saw her for like six, up to the six week mark. Um, and so it was like identified really early and she, you know, she's told me the options. Um, and because I was having these feeding issues, I was like, yeah, we'll go do it. So I did that. It was awful to, I don't think they let parents like take the kid in now. I think, I think like they just take your baby away and go and do it and then give your baby back like with it done because um like it's if you if I felt awful doing it having it done to her um but it did make a huge difference um but I was also having to like pump every three hours so it was just like the you know feed feed her give her a top up that had pumped and like repeat that every three hours um so it was good it was a good thing I was staying in bed because like that's all I was doing um and yeah it was just this like kind of cycle thing um, but once I kind of got past that initial couple of weeks and, you know, she started to feed a bit and, like, she put, started putting a bit of weight on very slowly and not much, but she was putting weight on and she started off such a chunk off. It didn't really – nobody was really concerned. They were like, oh, she's fine. Like, she's, look at her. She's huge. Like, she's fine. Um, and I kind of – I got discharged from, like, my midwife um, and then passed on to, like, the um, the local council, like, the uh, mental – what is that? The MCHM. um yeah so and my local one look um she's probably great for some people um not for me um didn't tell me what I wanted to hear (laughs) if I had concerns it was like oh no the baby's fine um so I didn't really feel listened to which is what I had with like with my midwives um and then yeah it was very very different experience to go from kind of feeling cared for and listened to and acknowledged and educated on things to being the opposite like well the paper says do this 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 so therefore do this 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 like there's no exceptions there's no like you know you gotta follow this routine like you're not following the routine well you're doing it wrong um so it wasn't a great experience um but I did get out of it the like the mum's groups which um I went into like this mum group like I was so like pumped for this I went in I'm like hi I'm Sal I'm new to Melbourne, so I have no friends. I drink coffee. I like to go on walks. Um, who wants to be my friend, essentially? Like, <laughs> I was like, hi, like, you guys are not going to get rid of me now. I was really, really annoying, actually. Um, but I made some really good friends out of it. You know, I wasn't from Melbourne. Like, I moved there and I went to work um, every day and then I went home and went to work at home. Um, so I didn't really make, like, a network of people. Um, so it was really important for me, like, once I had my daughter, right I need local friends I need mum friends and everything so you know I made I, I built up that little 
support network with them um and then like with the daycare as well was close to work and um yeah it was just that was like it was actually really really good um I miss that from my first um don't have that with my second but I miss that with my first so um yeah she had all these feeding issues that actually continued on I ended up having to see like a private lactation consultant um and ended up going and getting donor breast milk as well um which yeah I I not that I was like I wasn't against formula but I was like well what other options are there because like I just had in my head like well I'm making milk like just not quite enough and you know I was doing everything I could and she the lactation consultant said to me at this point because my daughter like she'd dropped down like you know she was born like up on like the 95th percentile or something and by this point like um I knew like there was still something wrong and I was like going and telling you know the, the nurse the local nurse she's not gaining weight like something's not quite right and oh no she's fine she's fine anyway she dropped like her percentiles and she was like down to like 20th percentile or something oh, which wow, is a big jump from like mm. up here down to here um and so that's why I went into like the private lactation consultant and you know she was like super helpful and you know I'd seen doctors as well at this point and everybody was like no no baby's fine like she's all right and I'm like she's not all right guys um and yeah, she's like, you're going to have to do either formula or donor milk. Um, and so I was like, tell me about this donor milk. So I actually went back to my mum's group. And I was like, hey, I know you pump. Do you have any milk I could, like, I could have? Um, so I got some, like, milk from, like, one of the mums um, in my mum's group and then also, like, from Facebook groups as well. I was like, yeah, sorry, um, got those donor milk and to do top-ups essentially because um, I was pumping and I was getting nothing. I was making, like, enough um to kind of feed her but I did start solids quite early, not early but like five I think that's just five months maybe um I was like right I need to start solids I was on Matillium as well what about that it was an awful drug to help make more milk um and you know it, it worked so I like kind of was aiming for this line I was like it's gonna get to this line gotta get to this line get on food and then she'd be all right. And she was. As soon as she started food, she chunked right up. Like, um, and she's been back at those <laughs> the top percentiles for a long time now. Um, and so and she cried a lot. She just like it she just went out. I was trying to like force those routines on her that the the nurses were like, what is it, eat, eat, sleep, play, or something like that. Um, and then she was not having it. No, I she wouldn't sleep in the cot um that ended up being really good for storage because she was not having it I didn't want a bed share because I was so like terrified that like something bad would happen um and um you know then I was you know got information I was like well if, you know if you do this way you know um look as an option because I was falling asleep with her like holding her up and she was screaming my neighbor was texting me like are you okay do you want me to come over and help like because she could hear her screaming um it just wasn't like yeah it wasn't great like in those initial kind of like months I guess um but I then I went to um like a sleep settle class thing through that like the private midwife place ran um and I went to that and like it just changed my whole mindset on it um and I just was like why am I forcing this on this kid who didn't read all the books like she doesn't know she's supposed to be doing this. Why am I trying to like, make her do this thing when she obviously does not want to do it? Um, and so I stopped trying to do like nap times and set bedtimes and 
I co-slept. Um, I anytime she was upset, like on the boob, like I don't know how to parent without breastfeeding. Like I, I just don't know how to do it. Like you know, you're upset, boob. You fell over, boob. You're hungry, boob. Like you know. So once I did that, I really just like parenting for me. Like was really smooth sailing after that. Um, you know, it just she was, was a great kid. She was really switched on. She kind of made it easy for me after I just stopped and listened to what. Yeah, like I listened to what she needed and what she wanted. Um, so yeah. Anyway, it was like a breeze, and um, and I was adamant. I was only having one. I was like, no, I'm not having two kids. One's one's enough. Like, can't go another one. And obviously, I have another one. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I have another one. Um, again, the impulsivity of my my brain kind of sets in a bit. So I, um, COVID hit. Um, when she was, so she was born in November 2018 mm-hmm. um, and then COVID hit when she was like one and a bit. At some point I went and I held a friend's baby um, and it's really random and I was like, I held this baby and I was like, oh, I think I need another one. <laughs> um, and like that was, that was just, I don't know if I was like, had been thinking that much, but like I'd sold a lot, all the baby clothes were gone. Like, you know, you really the baby stuff is gone. One. I was not having another one. I was like, no, not doing that. Like, I made my mind up. And then I held this baby and I was like, oh, shit, I think I need another baby. Um, So, yeah, but then, like, COVID and everything and the borders closed, and, you know, you didn't want to tell anyone you lived in Victoria. Um, And my sperm was over in Adelaide in South Australia. Um, And I really wanted to, like, use the same donor if I could. Um, So I'd called up the clinic and... Um, discussing through with them and um, I had to wait essentially until there was going to be like a board opening as such um, I had to tell my boss as well um, I think by that point we kind of were allowed back in the office for a little bit yeah. um, and I pretty much I said to him I'm like look it's kind of now whenever I'm decided I'm going to go back and try another round of IVF obviously that's in Adelaide I'm going to have to go over for three weeks because of COVID I couldn't fly back and forward. Um, you couldn't get a border pass. Like, if you wanted a border pass, you had to essentially be there, like, in in South Australia. I think it was, like, five, for five days to then test, to be allowed to leave, to go. Like, you couldn't do day passes. Like, it wasn't a thing. Um, and then the clinic was like, yeah, you're going to have to be here for your whole cycle um, if you want to do it because I was going to have to do another egg collection, obviously. Um, so I got to, yeah, 2021. Um, and it was like around just before Easter. Um, and was it just around Easter? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think now. Everything's a bit of a blur. Um, the borders kind of opened up a bit, and I was like, oh, there's my window, you know? And so I, but at this point, my fertility specialist had left. So I was like, well, I need a new one. Like, who's, who's got the, the first appointment? Because again, once I decide to do something, I want it done I now. Want it now. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm not waiting for anything else, thanks. So I um, I had an appointment with a specialist um, who's lovely. And actually, funnily enough, to this day, I have not met her in person, oh, wow. um, which was kind of strange. And I know like um, you know, some people get really close to their fertility specialists um, and see them a lot um, and speak to them a lot. And um, um, I don't know if it was just they were very hands-off because I know that some people who also see them do see them a lot and talk to them a lot, but um, I think I was just very more straightforward, I guess, just far away. Um, 
And so anyway, I spoke to her. She had a look at my previous one and she was like, oh, yeah, you didn't respond very well at all, did you? And I was like, no, you know, how do we make more this time, please? Um, and so she goes, oh, we'll put you on the same same drugs because you responded, like, quality-wise. We'll just, like, really up it. Um, and then she went through, like, test results and my lining was too thick. So then I had to do a scan. Of course, my periods were back to being all over the place. Um, and so it was kind of, like, all dragged out a little bit. Um, and then I kind of I had this window where I was like, right, I booked in three weeks at a caravan park. Um, my period started, off I went. I had to change the dates actually once or twice um, with the caravan park because trying to figure out like when my period would start so I could book in advance was really hard. Um, but yeah, packed my daughter and me up in, the, in my little car and shoved off over the border um, for the first time in a while. And settled in a caravan park and I was working as well at the same time. So I didn't have that whole three weeks off work um, because I was very conscious that I would need my annual leave at later dates probably. Yeah. So I um, I was, yeah, working, going to appointments. And then my mum actually came over to Adelaide as well. So um, she's in Mildura and she was allowed to kind of come to Adelaide, um, which is a real help because then I needed somebody to pick me up from the hospital. I needed somebody to watch my daughter. So this time around, I responded better um, to the medication um, and I got like 10, 10 follicles, I think it was. Yeah. Um, they got all 10, like my egg collection. Um, I lost a few of them, but I had one ready for freshie, um, two got frozen, had my transfer, drove home that same day, like back to Melbourne, feeling super positive. Two days later, because I could not wait, two days later in the afternoon, I tested and it was like very faint positive. And I was like, oh, I think it's working. Could be the trigger. The next day I tested again, it was darker. And I was like, this is insane. Like, what if this thing is split? I was like freaking out. I'm having multiples. And anyway, my lines kept getting darker. And great, this is, I'm pregnant. Um, and it was just, it was the easiest pregnancy. So it, it did work. It was it. Yeah, yeah, it worked. Like, okay. yeah, yeah, that's. That line just kept getting darker and darker and I was like, yep, had my blood test. That was all good. Scans, one baby, thankfully. Um, that was good. The rental that I was in, the owners wanted to sell um, and so I was going to have to move. Um, and so my moving date was the 27th of January and my due date was the 7th of January. So I was like, I'll have plenty of time, right? It'd be fine. Couldn't find really another rental in Melbourne. I was looking and um, by this stage, like mid-pregnancy, I'd, I'd talked to mum and I'd said, look, what if I move back to Mildura for like my maternity year, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then I'm not having to like fork out, you know, I can I can have a whole year off. I had like six and a half months off with my daughter. Um, I didn't really, I couldn't afford to have a full year off. Um, but if I moved in with my mum for this year, like oh, I could have like a full year off. She'd get to see the grandkids because, you know, th- through COVID, she hadn't really seen them much. So and seen Edie much um so I kind of worked all that out I had a set moving date um and then his baby was not coming out and I was like I don't want to induce but like I'm running out of time you know and eventually it was like they kind of the hospital depending who I talked to um I had one doctor say oh we're not going to let you go past 41 weeks or four, yeah, 40 weeks because you're IVF and I was like well that doesn't mean jack because like I went over last time like that you know what, what's your reasoning and then the next one was like, oh, you know, you have to because your risks of stillbirth were really high. And she put fear of God. Like she like was really scaring me. And 
making it sound like there was something wrong. And at this point, I had like cruised along um, as a low risk patient. And it just wasn't, it was really towards the end, it was really negative. I was getting stressed out because I was like, oh, I've got to move as well. Um, and then suddenly it went from like, oh, yeah, we're going to induce you like at this day. And me going, okay, I agree. Like, let's let's get this baby out. To them going, oh, no, you're fine. Like, who wants to induce you? Like, you can wait a bit longer. Um, and so eventually, like they said, yeah, well, here's your induction date. Like, it was 40, 41, five. Oh, yeah, wow. 41 weeks and five days. They're like, come in for induction. And then I went in and they're like, oh, who told you to come in? Like, we don't have any beds at the moment. I'm thinking, well, I've got my suitcases. I'm like, my sister had agreed to come and look after my daughter. You know, you know, I'm not going anywhere, guys. Um, yeah, he came out again, 4.45 kilos. So my base was 4.41 and he was 4.45. Um, snack on 42 weeks. Um, and the midwife said my placenta was like amazing. She was like, you could have gone another week. I'm like, I've got to move house in a week's time. So no. Um, so it was like, and then I was like, when can I go home? Um, and because I, I didn't have any complications after that, four hours later, um, four and a half hours later, I was like, right, off I go. See you guys. Take, off I went home. Um, and so my daughter got to come and meet him. She came in from daycare, which was conveniently very close, um, and met her little baby brother. Um, Hendrix I didn't even say his name Hendrix for the first time mm. um, yeah and he like it's just I don't know if it's second baby things I find the baby stage really easy um, yeah he's like an easy baby he's a breeze and then when he was a week a week old we moved from Melbourne to Mildura so you're living um, with your mum now yeah so I'm living with my mum now um, which is um, interesting it's not where you see yourself um, when you're like in your mid-30s um well no, I didn't but it's the right place for us to be now um and my daughter's loving it like getting it's just getting sunshine and fresh air every day and um you know I've got lots of cousins here and so she's meeting this whole family she had no idea that existed um and so yeah she's really really enjoying it and um Hendrix is just I mean he's a baby he'll he'll enjoy wherever you wherever you go but um so yeah we'll stay here for a bit and then um, move to Adelaide um, is where I'm going to head to next. I'm, I decided, you know, I want the kids to have a place to just settle down and stay put um, in one place now and you know, then they can decide when they're older um, if they want to move around a lot. But And you think that will be Adelaide? Yeah. Oh, look, I don't know. I love Adelaide. Um, I like the beach. I used to live like a minute. Like I'd walk out the, my little unit that I was renting and the beach would be right there and... I miss it so much. Anytime I go to Adelaide, I feel like I'm home. Um, and I just so I know that's the right place for, for us to go next. So, and we've got donor siblings there that we know about. So, oh, wow. Um, so you know already. Yeah. 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 I'm big on like making this little family for, for my kids and ha- knowing um, this other half of them um, if we can. So, um, I'm in touch with two families who have um, three um, related siblings. And how did you find them? uh, Facebook. Ah, okay. Um, Yeah, Facebook groups have been awesome. Um, There's a few different ones. Um, And they always use the same clinic. So the clinic that I went through, the donor that I picked, he is American. So I wanted to use like an an overseas donor. Um, And for a lot of reasons, I just, I wanted all the information. I wanted the youngest firm. As weird as that sounds, the local options presented to me were like, 
bit like at the the older end if that makes sense um and I was like oh you know let's do we were doing this let's just pick the young fresh fresh chunks um so I wanted I wanted that but I also wanted like an American donor because Adelaide's a small place um and you always know somebody who knows somebody and um while I want them to have relationships with like the donor siblings um like from an early age um I'm very conscious that I don't want to like run into or figure out I guess who the donor is and like know who that person is in the same city because until you know they're like older um I think when they're 18 they're allowed to like know them know his name or um some details and stuff but um yeah until then but my clinic have like um rights to that donor so he's as far as they're aware I know it can get a bit sketchy over in America sometimes um but as far as they're aware and I'm aware um that donor's only used for that for our clinic essentially and they're like family caps so there's not going to be like massive amounts um that we know of um I mean you, you say that but you you don't you have any control over what, uh, what these guys do over there so um that was a, a little bit of comfort um so yeah we've, we've got these donor siblings and yeah get on with their the mothers um we have a good old chat and it's nice to like see what our kids are up to and we kind of go, oh, you know, see the similarities, I guess. And they're probably listening to this. So, hi, guys. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Are, they, well, are they solo moms by choice or are they in relationships? Yeah. Yeah, so both of the ones that I know of are solo moms by choice. Um, mm-hmm. There are others out there um, who we don't know who they are. Like, we've just got, you know, the like the, the sex of the child and then when they're born, essentially. Yeah. Um, so we don't really know who, who they are. Um, my daughter's really into it. Um, she loves the fact that she's got these like other brothers out there and, yeah. um, you know, daycare, if they do family trees, you know, she was like, oh, this is my brother. And like, yep, I've got this brother here. And um, so she is like really into it, um, into family and like they're like the cousins that she's got and everything. So um, it'd be nice when we move there and um you know the kids can kind of grow up together I guess and if they hate each other like half the siblings do then that's fine but um you know you say hey we tried there you go yeah. it's up to you guys now so if anyone's kind of on the fence about whether this is the right journey for them is there any advice that you'd give them I'll just do it um you know you can worry about everything you know the, the financial stuff especially um and I don't I don't have any regrets over you know I went and got personal loans and I'm I'm paying off like paying off my like my son still um and I don't regret that like every month the payment comes out and I'm like that's money well spent um yeah. so you know there's ways to ways to get then you don't have to have everything um and you know I've got I've got friends who are single mums and not by choice um and they much worse off than me financially um and just with you know how their lives have kind of gone and and like I've, I've talked to them I know they would agree with me on it but um you know their kids are awesome and they're like they can still provide for their kids and give their kids what they need um so don't think that you you know if it's something you really really want to do and you know you ask you know running out of time we, we're all on time limits here and um I think COVID's kind of proved that anything can happen at such like you know, you click your fingers, you can wake up the next day and something awful's happened and you just, you might miss your opportunity, I guess. So um, if you really want to do it, like, go do it. Like, there are ways 
um, to, to, you know, to get what you want with it. So don't kind of wait for everything to be perfect and to be right because um, that doesn't necessarily mean it's ever going to happen otherwise. Well, that's some pretty wise words to end on. So thank you so much, Shell, for sharing your story. I can't wait for everyone to hear it. No worries. Thank you. I'm Alicia, and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, and leave a like, a review, or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.